I'm Shereen Fashik, and this is Starting Out. Digiday's newest podcast where I take the personal route to find out how it began for marketing industry's biggest movers and shakers. A candid conversation about their special powers that makes them tick and makes their craft and leadership so remarkable. I encourage everyone that I work with to absolutely tap into their instincts. And the only way you can do that is to be spontaneous. Do not prepare. It's okay to fuck up. That's Danny Lennon, founder of The Creative Register, one of the original recruiters in an industry that places the highest premium on people. Many people in the business call Danny the original connector. But what really stands out is that she's all about fearlessly following that gut instinct. In America, we are ruled by two things, fear and money, which is not the same in Europe. It's not the same in Asia. So they have other things that, that, you know, so fear and money are all that. So what prevents instinct is fear and money. Because people think if they're not, if they use their instincts and they're wrong, you know, they'll get into trouble, they'll maybe fired, you know, which means they'll lose money or they won't get the raise they want or the promotion they want or whatever it may be. There are so many excuses all the time. What people have to understand is what I've seen in my many, many years is that instinct actually gets you the raise. Instinct gets you the money. Instinct gets you the power. Instinct gets you, instinct gets you everything you want. And if it doesn't, it's because maybe you're not utilizing it correctly, in which case get coaching. I do believe in coaching in every way possible. That's why I do it. Um, so, you know, to answer your question... Unless you're using instinct, I don't believe you have longevity in anything that you're doing. What is the hardest part of your day? I think the hardest part of my day is getting people to listen to me. Getting people to truly listen. I spend a lot of time telling people, didn't I tell you so? I'm so bored with that. You know, it's not that I'm God. It's not that I'm right. It's because I have experience. I'm sick and tired of telling people I've done this. I've lived in this world for bleep, bleep years. I'm not going to give that to you all. Um, And I've worked, you know, for a very long time. So I've got something to offer. I really, really do. So it's getting people to listen. They do eventually, but it's hard work. And that is the hardest part of my day. Uh, Tell me about a time you... uh didn't rely on your instinct or did rely on your instinct and found that it worked for you or didn't work for you? I've never not relied on my instinct. I think anybody who does it, I think they're at a deficit. Mm-hmm. So I, would, I don't even ever want to think that I exist without using my instinct on a minute-to-minute, hour-to-hour daily basis. Um, you have to be alert. If you want to, and this is an important thing actually that Aditi told if you want to live a long life in this business, which I have so far, I mean, you know, I've been in it 40 years. Mm-hmm. It's a long time. So if you want to do that, instinct is what's going to keep you relevant. Mm. So that's really important. So the concept of never using your instinct or not even engaging it, for me is personally and uh, also my clients, is, is inviting failure. You're, you're responsible for your own failure by not using your instincts. You sort of fell into this in a really interesting way. And I believe a bus stop was involved. <laughs> and I want you to tell that story because I think, I think it's a really, it's, it's a great place to start. All right. So, um, yes, I was standing at a bus stop in London 
Um, and at the time I had been at UCLA, I had just come back from UCLA where I was uh, supposedly supposed to be finishing a degree which I did not finish because I'm such a naughty girl um, and then I came back early to London and I was standing at a bus stop and I was talking to a gentleman by the name of Kim Mukherjee and uh, there will be people possibly that might remember him and he had an advertising agency in London called Maisie Mukherjee Russell which at that time was the hot shop Mm-hmm. It was the hot shop. It was up against Gold Greenlee's Trot mm-hmm. and companies like that. And what did I know? I had no idea. But he was quite attractive and uh, he was extremely eloquent, sort of, you know, Oxbridge educated mm-hmm. and all that. And I wasn't. Um, anyway, it was a long bus wait and we were chatting and he really liked me. And I really liked him, and I found him stimulating. And he, his advertising agency was above a movie theatre in an area in London called Camden Town, which is now like the hip-hop great place to be, right? At the time, it wasn't. It was where drunken vagrants were hanging out and drug addicts and God knows what. But he invited me, and I accepted to my parents' chagrin to visit him at his advertising agency above Camden Cinema in Camden Town. And I fell in love with the place. It was just absolutely amazing. It was just like this incredible creative environment. And he showed me around and he didn't show me his etchings and he was perfectly normal and appropriate, which might have been actually quite sad at the time. But um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to figure out if you were disappointed or <laughs> relieved was, exactly. at that moment. I was slightly disappointed and sort of you know, insulted. I mean, I was a very attractive young woman. Um, <laughs> Still but are. He, uh, thank you very much. But he was, um, he was very interested in me coming in as what in those days was called an apprentice. We, we had apprenticeships. And you don't really have those anymore. And it, in those days, we had a three-year apprenticeship. And so he offered me one. He said to me, you'd be fabulous in this business. And he sat down with me and explained to me what the three years would constitute, um, which would be traveling through every department and advertising agency. I'd like you to know, to everybody listening to this, I started out as the receptionist, I want you to know. I mean, traveling literally through it. I went from receptionist, and then I went into the creative department where I was assisting as a creative assistant, to becoming a copywriter, to becoming an art director, to going into the production department, to going into account exec, you know, management and so on. So for three years I spent, and at the end of three years, if they still love you, you can decide where your heart is. Mm -hmm. And I decided my heart was in creativity, and thus I became um, both a copywriter and an art director combined, because in those days we combined it. So the reason I asked you to start with that story is because that 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 idea of chance is is really interesting to me because it was chance. You happen to be standing at this bus stop next to Kim Mukherjee, and how much how much has the role of chance and luck played in your entire career? I do believe in role in in luck and chance, but I'm going to believe in what I in personality too because there are many people that stand at bus stops and get spoken to, and people think fuck off, you know, you're a weirdo. Me, I invite that. And I think anyone who knows me knows that wherever I am, whether I'm in the subway, whether I'm at a bus stop, whether I'm in a restaurant, I'm going to talk to the person next to me. That can be dangerous in New York City. (laughs) 
like on the on the L train <laughs> certain parts of the weekend. Well, you, you know, don't want to be that person speaking to people. Well, you know, inebriated at 11 o'clock at night, I'm not going to do it. But, you know, at one o'clock or something during safety the day. Safety first, everybody. Safety first, yes. But I do talk to people a lot and I like to because that's, I'm in love with humanity and that's what my jam is. Um, I'm, I don't notice the trees as much as I do people. So people are everything to me. And I think that the one thing that I sort of encourage with young people and older people, people reinventing themselves, is to keep asking questions, keep listening to people, keep talking, keep conversing, you know, never stop. We tend to stop now because we're looking down, aren't we, at our cell phones and our laptops and God knows what. I still, I call it, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm a look-up generation. I look up, I see what's in front of me or what's next to me, and I try to keep my head up high all the time. So, yeah, luck and chance was the part of it being Kim Mukherjee. It could have been some vagrant, I don't know. But, but generally, you gave it a shot. I gave it a shot, yeah. Um, tell me about you've had you've had this crazy intense roller coaster like run in in you know this industry. I mean you've you've done a lot. You've spent time in advertising, in art, in music. Um, you've done a lot of a lot of everything. Uh, tell me a little bit about the most memorable placement that you've you've ever made. What sticks with you? What sticks with you is one of those ones you look at and like, hmm, that was an interesting experience. Either because of that person himself or herself or because of the way it actually happened I've had so many so it's a little difficult for me I've had so many I think um you know and it depends what you mean by different Mm -hmm. I would say from a learning standpoint and an education as someone as more of an agent and a search consultant and getting really involved with the concept of contracts and legalities and all that sort of thing. Um, Placing Tony Granger at uh, Y&R many years ago was extremely, uh, it was was long and hard and challenging, not him, Um, you know, WPP and all the lawyers and everything like that. And it was something, and, you know, there were a lot of people involved. And it was something at that time that even though I placed, you know, multiple CCOs, that one was the one that I learnt the most from because it was a long contract, which was split into four years and four years. And so, and each four years uh, constituted a different, uh, you know, uh, deal. Okay. And what, it, what about in terms of, you know, having, you know, having working with the younger talent, people who weren't as well known as Tony was at that time? What if what are what are some of the most memorable things you've done there? Either pairing people, having people find the, find casting them for the right job, finding for them. The Look, right my place. ex-husband is probably the finest example. Okay, let's talk about, <laughs> you that. know, so I mean, Ty is probably the finest example. If I, you know, anybody, I met him when he was like 21 going on 22. He was a student of mine. I taught him. I built up his portfolio and I watched him for, you know, 30 years go through, you know, highs and lows, etc. and helping manage his career at times until he managed his own career. So, you know, we went through so many different things, but he's one of many. But I suppose I use him as an example because I was both his teacher and as well as his representative. Um, and I followed his career obviously closely because we were involved. Right. <laughs> I should hope so. How do you find out, you know, getting to that bones, getting to the bones of someone, getting to, getting to know them so well that you can understand, you know, what, 
what would be the right fit for them, what their challenges are, whether, you know, whether you're consulting them on their roles and their careers or actually casting them or placing them. How do you get to the bones of a human? So um, there are many, many answers to that, Shireen. Um, first and foremost, my relationship to each individual that I ha- engage with is very different. The only commonality is exactly what you're talking about, which is unless they're prepared to reveal themselves and to be asked questions that most likely most people would not like to answer, they can't do business with me because I feel... I have to, if I'm, you know, I'm not in the, I'm not in the business of selling human beings. I'm in the business of loving human beings. I'm in the business of living their lives with them. I, I become conjoined with them when I'm working with them. So, you know, I usually open out, you know, the first question I ask anybody, whether it's telephone, email, text, or whatever, when they approach me or otherwise, is, are you prepared to sit down and really talk? Are you prepared to, I don't care, actually, if it's on a Saturday or Sunday, I work seven days a week. So I meet a lot of people on weekends, I meet a lot of people in the evenings, or, some, or you know, now, of course, I FaceTime and do all sorts of different things. But we spend an inordinate amount of time talking, and not just talking about, you know, aspirations, talking about background, where they came from, parenting, sisters, you know, siblings, brothers, cousins, uncles, aunts, everything, the way, you know, the, 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 the country they were born in, the culture. I mean, we go really, we dig deep and on an emotional and psychological level as well as a sociological level because for me, the success of anybody is not just what's in their portfolio. The success of anybody is about the environment and it's about the people that they connect with and whether, certainly from a longevity standpoint. I mean, freelancers out there will probably shout their heads off going, no, it doesn't matter, it's so much better to just, you know, go somewhere for a week and then get the hell out of there, you know. For me, my job is to ensure, and I think most people that know me will know I always say when I talk to them, you know, we're talking about a minimum of a two-year stint here. You, you know that, don't you? You know, because it's important that longevity is key to this. So getting to know them, yes, is very important. And I will do whatever it takes to do that. Tell me more about that process. Mm. Uh, so the process, like? I mean, the process is quite easy. I mean, again, it's, it's about a modality. So it's whether it's telephone or whether it's whatever. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, I don't ever have a sheet of uh, a paper that has a thousand questions because I... I really, this is the the thing I tell people always, actually. I always say to them, you know, and please forgive me to people who, who have lost their eyesight, but I generally pretend my eyes are closed and I'm blind. That's what I do. I pretend that my eyes are closed and I'm blind so that I'm using every other sense in me but my eyes because when you actually meet people visually, they distort your point of view completely because of what they look like because of what so it can work plus and a minus so if you're extremely good looking you can be sure that will distract me male or female you know what you're wearing will distract me the color of what you're wearing will distract me the tone of your voice sometimes can so that's another thing we'll get to but I tend to whether I'm on the phone or I'm with someone sometimes people say to me Danny why are you closing your eyes? Are you asleep? <laughs> Am I that boring? Right? Am I that boring? Exactly. Um, so I tend to do that periodically during the conversation. And I try, but I've trained myself to keep my eyes open and be asleep, if you know what I mean. I've trained myself to do that because then what I'm doing is just listening. I'm listening to their tone. I'm listening to the, what they're emphasizing. I'm listening to what they're willing to reveal. And I want to break down the pent upness. I want to break down anything that's. Uh, premeditated. Mm. A lot of people come to meet me 
and they've got their lists and their heads in their hands, in their hearts. Lists of where they want to work, what they want to do. Where they want to work, what they want to do. You know, not even just that, actually. It goes deeper than that, Shireen. It's about who they want to be and how they want to be perceived. Hmm. I think today it's not about where you're working and it's not so much about even what you're doing as much anymore. We live in a world of social media and... This is the bad side of it, which is people are so obsessed and possessed with their perception, you know, that that's another thing I have to break down, which is I have to tell people, stop worrying about perception. Mm -hmm. I mean, fuck that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You've got to get rid of that. That's a great point because ego seems to play such a huge part, especially in the advertising industry. And I understand why. If you're in the the business of selling things, selling products, you also often are in the business of performing. You have to perform for clients. You have to, when you're pitching a client, you know, I've had multiple people tell me it's like putting on a show. You have to be right on the money. You have to be funny. You have to be insightful. You have to be strategic. You have to say the right thing at the right time. How... Well, that's a necessary skill, though, isn't it? In When you're thinking about it in the workplace, you well, need that personal brand I coach, if you're going to get ahead. I coach. I coach. And I coach in a very unorthodox fashion. I mean, one thing I'm known for in this business is I don't believe in paperwork. I don't believe in preparation. I believe in instinct. Instinct is everything. And I think that actually, I think that's the future of society. I think it's the future of business. I think it's the future of everything. I assume lots of people, lots of women, lots of clients of yours who are women come to you with, oh, people ignore me. People talk over me. People interrupt me. Even when they're, you know, the leaders in that room, even if they're the people leading the meeting. How do you, how have you dealt with that kind of thing when you're coaching people? Because confidence is a large part of the industry. Having and enduring that kind of thing over and over again, as has been shown multiple times, has pushed women out of the workplace, has pushed women out of thinking about it, even if they have full right to be there. What is, what are some of the No, I agree with that? you. And I, again, it's, it's on a, uh, in, you know, in an individual basis. I have a lot of methodologies to that, to, res- to resolve those issues. I'm a huge, people will know this, who know me, um, I'm a huge believer in props. So I'm a bit of, you know, people tease me about it, said, oh, you like all those whips and God knows what. Actually, yes, I like people, I like women to have props with them when they're doing presentations. I like them to have props with them when they're doing meetings, etc. And when I say props, it can be anything from, um, you, know, gla- you know, I'm a big lover of spectacles. I think that every woman should have a collection of different colored glasses to wear because they can be worn to shield you uh, they can be utilized to take off, uh, emphasize the point, etc. I'm acting for Shireen right mm-hmm. now. So uh, glasses do that. They, they do. You can point with the glasses. You can put them on the back, you know, on top of your head too. You know, you, you, they're just, but the glasses are one thing. But I also have buttons. I have, you know, buttons that make noises mm-hmm. that I give to a lot of people. They're like push buttons. Mm-hmm. Um, and the push button makes a noise. It makes a noise. So if you get to a point where you feel that absolutely nobody is listening to you, press that button. And people look, and they look up at you, and you go, ah, you remember that I'm here and I'm talking. Now, that sounds inappropriate in a certain place. So in the case of a client, where you're doing a client presentation, you absolutely would not use that. If you're in doing an internal meeting where you're trying to get people, whether they're above you or beneath you or in the middle of you, Paying attention to what you're saying, yeah, use a button. I love Use that. a button, or I even what I just did just now, I will do that. 
I won't clap ever, by the way. Mm. Don't believe in clapping, but I believe in hitting firmly the table so that people feel the shudder or they feel something. You know, when reminder, I'm here. It, yeah, I'm here. I mean, there, I can give you a list of ten different things that I utilize. Where do you see? I mean, you've pivoted from you know headhunting to coaching to consulting to doing a lot of different things today. Where do you kind of see? Where do you see Instinct taking you in the next five years? What do you want I to do? I know exactly what I want to do. Does anybody watch the show Billions? Yes. Okay, so, well, I want to be Wendy in Billions. <laughs> okay. That's me. That's Elaborate. what I want. So I want to be Wendy. I'm not a qualified psychologist. Um, I'm not sure that we need qualified psychologists anymore. <laughs> That's another, another story, another podcast. But um, I think the role that she plays with for Axel in Billions is absolutely necessary for the future of business today, which is to have that, well, look, some businesses already have it, but I want to nuance it, okay? So what she's done has nuanced it in that she's the psychologist, she talks to everybody, she makes sure that everybody in the business is getting along, dealing with their personal problems, blah, 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 blah. And she advises Axel as well on his business, you know, in, in instincts and intuitions and whatever. But what she also does is she connects the dots. She also makes sure that there's fluidity there's fluidity in the environment, that people are getting along in a positive domino effect, both sociologically, psycho psychologically, and also in their business function. And that's the role that I would love to play. I think what I'm most gifted at is complementary abilities, complementary skill sets, complementary emotions, and keeping the smoothness of fluidity so that there is a positive domino effect rather than a negative one. That would be my ideal. Do you think there's a lot of unhappiness in this industry? Do you think that, do you think that companies, you know, for all their talk of culture, need to be placing way more emphasis on someone like that, somebody who's going to create that positive domino effect, whether for people or rather for processes? I can answer that in a heartbeat. Yes, yes, yes. Why are people so unhappy? Um, because, they, because they are not positioned correctly, number one, because the environment is not planned. It's not planned with human thought in place. It's planned for function. It's planned for slots. It's planned for grids. It's not planned for the connectivity or the connective tissue of human life. And so that's what I want to do. I want to create environments and fluid business environments where the connective tissue is very much an integral part of the success of the company because one person connecting to another, connecting to another. I mean, we have already devolved as human life. There's no two ways about it. And we're devolving as I speak. It, it, this is why I talk about instinct so much, because we're devolving. And I don't think Elon Musk would disagree with me at all in the slightest. And it's not about us versus AI at all. I mean, he thinks that AI is going to kill us. Maybe they will. But who set them up to kill us? We did. So I don't focus on AI as a threat. I focus on human beings as a threat. So my endeavor for the rest of my life that I... God blesses with me, blesses for me, um, is to actually connect human beings to human beings again and to understand what being a human being cons constitutes so that we can have these environments that are productive. And that requires a lot of uh, generosity from human beings to each other, 
for instance. That's a hard thing to cultivate. I don't think so at all. Hmm. I don't in my experience. Um, in fact, I said to a client, a brand client of mine this morning, unnamed, uh, I said, you know what, I screw these telephone calls, I can't take it any longer. I said, I'm coming in. I'm coming in. I'm going in there next week. I'm going to spend three days there next week. And I said, I want carte blanche to talk to absolutely everybody in your company. And they said, do it. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm so excited about doing that because you know why? I don't have to listen to the C just the CEO or the COO or the CMO. I get to listen to the people. Mm-hmm. And then I can put it all together and piece it all together and bring it back to the relevant parties who can affect change. And you're working, I mean, arguably at the most complex time in digital media and digital marketing in all of this. Yes. And I think the thing that is being forgotten are the people. Because you've got a lot of people talking about how do we make, you know, ad wastage is happening. How do we make that better? How do we make everything more efficient? And everything keeps getting wasted at the same time. But it's so, it's so crazy complex that if there is a time to fix it by exploiting that, how crazy it's gotten, it's now. It is. But I think, you know, what's interesting is no... No one knows what they're doing. And I love the fact that they don't know what they're doing because I don't know what I'm doing either. And that's what's so beautiful about this. Alex Pogusky, years and years and years and years ago, years ago, when he, you know, he was a fledgling leader at Crispin Porter Bogusky. We were at an Andy Show Awards and we were on a boat in the middle of, I don't know, wherever we were, some sort of fancy Caribbean island somewhere. Oh, the Andes used to be right. quite different. <laughs> but, <laughs> we were, we were on a boat and I was sitting at the back of the boat with Alex and I said, Alex, how do you do all this? And I, he goes, what, what do you mean, how do I do all this? You know, Because he was, he was a renegade, he was new, he was different and everything like that. And I I wanted to be that way in many ways. And and he said, because I know nothing. That's exactly what he said. And we're talking about, you know, in the 90s here. He said, I know nothing. And I have never forgotten that. Uh, I think it's very powerful to tell people you know nothing because I think it's the truth. And I think the big blur is the truth, which is we know nothing. We're living by data right now. And even data is being manipulated and skewered. So we don't even know whether we can truly trust all data anymore because we're so dependent upon it, we have to skewer it. Okay? But well, data can tell you anything you want it to tell you. Correct. Exactly. And that, that applies to not just business. So, you know, they're knowing nothing, taking into consideration that you know nothing, which is sub, it, 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 it substantiates my instinct theory that's why that game of thrones too much game of thrones that's why that mm. you know nothing john snow became so popular <laughs> oh god maybe it struck a deep realization to the heart of every you know chief oh, creative god, yeah. officer every cmo sitting there is like they're right i know nothing well maybe that's maybe we should dress them up as john <laughs> snow i'd be very happy <laughs> this is the game very of happy. thrones that's Danny Lennon. I hope you like the show. And Starting Out is a production of Digiday Media. Our producer is Aditi Sangal. Please rate us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week.